Well, good morning. I um, grew up on the Tugela River, and um, people were saying, how are you doing with the heat and all of that stuff here? And I just say, I'm in my skin. When I come here into this environment, it's like I'm back home. So, um, But it's been pretty cool this week. I think God gave a special week for me visiting from Cape Town. Um, and it's great to be here. Um, and I really enjoyed the fact that you, sung that you sang that song about the resurrection, because that's what I'm going to be talking about today is the resurrection. So we just need to get that up on the screen. Um, how are we doing? Fantastic. Now I can relax. So everything about Jesus is the coming of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God came in his ministry, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and will come at his return. And so uh, we don't want to miss out on any part of everything that Jesus means to us. But if there is one center of the way the kingdom of God came in Jesus, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I'm going to be talking to you about this morning. And we know that the resurrection is like the hinge of everything because of the preaching of the apostles. Oh, wait a bit, sorry. I've just realized that this thing is doing timings. Clear. Otherwise it becomes a, a law unto itself. And it's not me controlling it, but it's controlling me. It's like artificial intelligence. <laughs> so when they knew that because Judas had, you know, gone his way and they had to add somebody to be the 12 apostles, in the book of Acts it says, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the criterion of whether you were going to be one of the 12 apostles was witness to the resurrection. Then it says in the early preaching in the book of Acts, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When Paul was tried for his faith before a Roman official, he said, I stand here on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. He was very clear. This is what his faith was all about. And Paul also tells us this is how you get saved. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when Paul defines the gospel, and it's a chapter where the whole of the chapter is about the resurrection, he's very clear about all of this. He says, what I received, what I passed on to you as of first importance, in other words, this is the heart of it all, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then once he gets onto the resurrection, he like stays with the resurrection. And he rolls out all the early witnesses that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, the twelve, then more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. And notice that I'm going to come back to that. 
then to James, then to all the apostles, then to me. And he's giving the historical evidence. He's saying there are many witnesses to this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, And then he says later in the very same chapter, if the resurrection didn't take place, then nothing else works, basically. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You see, the power of the cross is only effective with a risen Jesus. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend about five minutes or so talking about why I am convinced that the resurrection is a historical fact. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how the resurrection works its power in our lives, you know, applying it to us. But it's important that we have some of this, what normally takes place in in apologetics, the proof of the resurrection. And the crucial thing about the proof of the resurrection is the time gap between the events of the life of Jesus and the first documentation of that in the New Testament manuscripts. And one of the criteria of of testing a historical fact is are you in touch with the original witnesses? Are you close to the events? Or are you reading some history written 100 years later? And there are no documents of the time of Jesus where the gap is so unbelievably small as with the New Testament. So, from my point of view, it is not rational to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. If you are presented with the facts, the most reasonable thing to do is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So, just a few facts. There are the dates of when Paul's letters were written. And his letters were the earliest of all the New Testament documents. And notice 1 Corinthians, which I've been quoting, was written 24 to 26 years after the events. Now, if you think of life-changing events that you witnessed 20 years ago in your life, uh, is it possible to just forget them? You know, I, I remember it's like 30 years ago now, there was a great move of the Spirit in this country um, It was called the Toronto Blessing, and we had the most unbelievable, miraculous level of power happening. And I can still see in my mind many of the meetings that that took place and many of the things that God did. That's 30 years ago. I remember when I helped my parents, uh, and my father published his book about his Second World War experiences, and it was about... 30, 40 years afterwards. And he was a fighter pilot who was shot down and then he escaped and then he met my mother and then he escaped and then he (laughs) was a fighter pilot again. And um, it's it's weird that a guy who in Switzerland falls in love and really doesn't have to go anywhere for the rest of his life goes and escapes through the French underground to become part of the Royal Air Force they were made like that in those days. And then she, he got her out of Switzerland at the end of the war and married her at Holy Trinity Brompton and so on. Anyway, it's a book we published. And I remember them arguing about the smallest detail of what happened, like when they met and all of their romance and who was who. 
And this was 30 or 40 years later. So 20 years after historic life-changing events, in terms of historical testimony, it's like nothing. And if you look at the rest of the New Testament, all the different parts of it, Q means uh, parts of Matthew and Luke that are almost identical, and Bible teachers think that they had another document that's vanished. And so Paul's letters are the earliest, and then Q, and then Mark, and then Luke Acts, and so on. Even John, who wrote when he was an elderly man, um, was still somebody who was a young man alive in the time of Jesus. And so all of the New Testament was written during the living memory of the first witnesses. And Paul says about the resurrection, when Jesus was in front of 500 people, 20 years later, it makes sense. He says most of them are still alive. You can go and interview them, if you like. And they bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus. I um, read a lot this guy called N.T. Wright, who's one of the top uh, scholars in the world today. He's an he's a Anglican evangelical bishop who speaks in tongues, you know, so that's quite a good combination. And he's probably the leading scholar in the world today, and he's written a book 700 pages long, where he looks at every possible argument about the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm just going to give you a couple of paragraphs of his conclusions. He says, for all these reasons, you know, 700 pages of reasons, I conclude that the historian of whatever persuasion has no option but to affirm both the empty tomb and the meetings with Jesus as historical events. In terms of the kind of proof which historians normally accept, the case we have presented that the tomb plus appearances combination is what generated early Christian belief is as watertight as one is likely to find. I regard this conclusion as coming in the same sort of category of historical probability, so high as to be virtually certain as the death of Augustus in AD 14 or the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, nobody who writes about ancient history doubts at all that those two events happened, Augustus and the fall of, of Jerusalem. He says probability because history is not... You don't prove history like maths, you know, one plus one equals two. It's like a court of law. Beyond reasonable doubt, the evidence says you go to jail or you don't go to jail. And so he weighs all of the facts. And, and so no historian would say, I, I prove it like mathematics. But it is beyond reasonable doubt that we can say that Jesus rose from the dead. This is important because your faith cannot simply be based on experience. I, I've had a lot of experiences of the presence of God, unforgettable for me, and my faith is profoundly affected by my experiences of God. But if it was only experience, in bad times, I could walk away. But I can't walk away because I am absolutely convinced that this really happened. And for me to walk away from Jesus raised from the dead, I would have to lie to myself because I've looked at all of this. Now, I remember when I was uh, converted through Michael Cassidy, the evangelist, he gave this illustration of faith, fact, and feelings. And he said, if you're walking on like a plank, you know, something you've got to balance on, have you tried walking on a thing that you've got to balance on and turning around at the same time? You lose your balance. And so he said, here's you of faith walking on this 
plank and in front of you is fact and behind you is feeling. And if you keep your eyes on the facts, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has come to you. You know, you will walk. But if you start looking back at feelings, you'll fall over. But feelings will stay there. You don't have to keep looking at where, where the feelings is following. Sometimes the feelings are really breathing down your neck and you're filled with the sense of God's presence. Sometimes the feelings are, are further behind. But don't build your faith on your feelings and your experience only. Build your faith on the fact, the central fact of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so it's important to have that aspect of this whole story. Now, I want to shift from there and go into how does this affect our lives? What does the resurrection actually mean for us? And the first thing that um, I love to talk about is how the Gospels explain what Jesus was like when he was raised from the dead, what I call the phenomenon of the risen body of Christ. And very quickly, over and over again, Jesus made plain to them that he wasn't a spirit. You know, if you've been to somebody's funeral three days ago, and the next thing he's standing in the middle of the room, you, you think, is this, a, is this a revelation or a phantom or a spirit? And he says, do not fear. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. And then to prove it, he says, have you got anything to eat? Yes, and he eats in front of them. And of course, on the Sea of Galilee, he made a fish bry, and ghosts don't make fish brys. And uh, Thomas put your f finger into my hands, you know, and he, he embraced Mary, and you, you can't embrace a ghost. Um, so it, it's, the, the Gospels make it absolutely plain, he was bodily raised from the dead. But at the same time, his body was somehow transcendent. So he suddenly appeared in the middle of a room. He, he, he walks with them to Emmaus. He prays over the bread. He disappears out of their sight. They rush back to Jerusalem. They find he's been there as well. Um, so clearly he had a body that was somehow animated by the spirit in a way that transcends the limitations of our body today. And there's a whole interesting thing about how possible that is in terms of quantum physics today and our understanding of molecules and stuff like that, which I love to talk about if I have more time. Then the really exciting thing is Paul says that whatever that phenomenon was of the risen body of Jesus, it is the prototype of the bodies we will be resurrected with at the very end or in the life that's to come. He will change our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And then we will have a body that was like the risen body of Jesus. And I always say, um, when that happens to you, try a wall. <laughs> and walk through. And then embrace somebody on the other side and prove you've got flesh and bones. So it's a really fascinating phenomenon, this. And it's not science fiction. This is based on those documents that are so close to the events that took place. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has this whole section where he, he talks about the nature of the risen body of Jesus. And therefore, the risen bodies we're going to get. 
So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So this is a body that never will age and will never die. And I would add, resurrects us to be the way we were at the peak of life. Not an old dude like me, like I was at the peak of life. Okay, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And Paul there uses deliberate language. He talks about soma psychikos, which means body physical, versus soma nematikos, which is body spiritual. And the word soma comes first. We're talking about a body, a real tangible flesh and bones body, but this body is no longer purely physical, it is also spiritual. That's the nature of the risen body of Jesus. And the result is that what Jesus has brought to humanity is immortality. Paul talks about the grace that has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who, dis who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has literally conquered the power of death. And that's what Jesus brings to us in the gospel and in the resurrection. So what does this mean about your life as a believer, somebody who knows Jesus? Well, if you don't have the risen Jesus in your life, then you do not have life. So John says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And eternal life means they're the life of the coming ages. Okay? And it's very much uh, a, uh, an either or here. Either you have the life of Jesus in you or you don't. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And until we are born again, we are, as Paul says in Ephesians, dead in trespasses and sins. The problem of humanity is not just sin, but death. And if you think of the world around us, it's full of death. From the municipality, you know, to the wars, to the, you know, treatment of women and children to the slave trade in the world today. I mean, all you've got to do is just look at the world around you and you see humanity is spiritually dead. And until we have Jesus coming into our lives, we are, we've got two problems. We are sinners and because we are sinners, we are dead, right? And so being born again is absolutely crucial and so to be born again is to receive the risen life of Jesus, Jesus breathed into you by the Holy Spirit. Just as he rose from the dead and he met his disciples for the first time, it says he breathed into them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's like a play on the words in Genesis where God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living being. And the first humanity was created like that, but then fell into sin. Now the risen Jesus is breathing into being the new humanity and his immortal life that has just conquered death through the Holy Spirit is breathed into our hearts. And that's how you get born again.
Peter says in his letter, we are born again through the, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a miracle of the Holy Spirit that takes the risen life of Jesus, the immortal life of Jesus, and births that into your heart and life. And either you have that or you don't. And if you have it, it is the beginning of the total transformation of your entire being. Okay? And this is more than forgiveness of sins through the cross. See, in order to invite Jesus into our lives, we've got to repent and ask for forgiveness because he died on the cross for us. But just having your sins forgiven is not going to cut it. You need a change of nature. You need new life. You need the sin issue to be dealt with and the death issue to be dealt with. And so you need Jesus crucified and risen from the dead to be the one who changes your life. And the Bible teaches us that through this new birth, a new character is formed in you that is already made in the image of God like Jesus Christ in true righteousness and holiness. And from the day you accept Christ's risen life into you, a new you gets born inside of you that is already in the character of God. That's why so often when people have a, have a conversion, they suddenly realize all my desires change. The things I love change. The things I want to do change. Because I don't have to now try to be a Christian and obey some commands. No, there's a new drive in me. There's a new energy in me for the things of God. The things I love have changed because there's a new nature that's, that has been placed inside of me. And, you know, if, if you've received the risen life of Jesus, you know it. You know there's something working. And it doesn't mean instantly all, you know, your struggles with temptation and stuff disappear. No, but you know now what's driving the real me is the new me through the born-again experience. And this is the Christian identity. I'm no longer the person I used to be. I am this new person in Christ, and I'm able to be transformed from one degree of glory to the other. And so, not only is this what you need to receive now in this life, but this is your future. And a lot of Christians have an idea of heaven as a kind of escape into spirituality, where we leave our bodies behind and we fly off into a place where there's, you know, harps and things. Um, no, no, no. The Bible says our destiny is to be re-embodied forever, and heaven is going to be this planet transformed and renewed. The, the, the new city of Jerusalem came down from heaven to, heaven to earth. And, and we're going to live in a new creation on this planet with God having renewed all things. And we will be in re-embodied, immortal bodies living in the new people of God. That's, that's our destiny. So everything about us, our present, our life, and our future is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection is the biggest deal, if you like, in, in the Christian faith. So the last thing I want to ask is, have you got it? And it's sad that in many parts of the Christian church, there's not a great emphasis on preaching the resurrection. 
people preach a lot about the cross, and that's fantastic. But, you know, it's only the beginning of solving our problems. We need Jesus crucified and risen. So Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he, he prays this. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that the eyes of your heart are enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us or in us who believe, according to the working of his great power, he put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. See, what Paul is praying is, oh Lord, through your spirit, Give them a revelatory experience. Open their eyes to see the enormous power of the resurrection that is at work in them. And a lot of times we know things because we've read them in the Bible, but it hasn't gone from here to here. We haven't actually got it. And so it's not just enough to believe in the historical fact of the resurrection or even to know that you've been born again. To walk in the power of a new life, you need to be living in the revelation knowledge of the resurrection that is working within you. How else are we going to go into Durban in a world with death all around us and change the world and be transformers and bring good news to the people around us if we don't know our inheritance of the power of the resurrection that is at work within us. Can I pray for you that you get it? Would you, would you just like to stand? Now, as we pray, there may be some of you who you're not actually sure if this born-again reception of the risen life of Christ has happened inside of you. And this is a thing you don't want to leave to chance. You need to be absolutely plain. And, and there is a very simple thing that you intentionally invite Jesus, Jesus the risen Lord, into your heart, into your life, and you say, come Holy Spirit and give birth within me to the risen life of Jesus. But for most of you, I think you know that. But I want to pray that you really get it and that you live in its power. So I'm just going to pray for you now. Lord, I pray for those who need to receive you for the first time. Come, Holy Spirit. And as they, op they open their hearts to you and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you, the risen Lord, in my life. Lord, do a miracle. By the Holy Spirit, breathe the new life into them. Raise them from the dead right now in this place today. And let them know, Lord, in the next few days, something deep within me has changed. Something that I never had before is working within me. And Lord, for those, your, your children who have been walking with you here, I pray as Paul does, come Holy Spirit and give a revelatory experience. Let it really uh, the truth of this, let it explode within them. 
send these people, Lord, your people, out into this world, literally filled, not only with excitement and confidence, but with the real power of resurrection life. And I bless you in the name of Jesus. And I say, receive again the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. 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 God bless you.